You are listening to episode 102 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we bring it into the scourge of silverfish in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Dude, uh, so yeah, playing Extermination this week and the Silverfish comment was probably the greatest thing that came out of that game. Uh, the game was good. Don't get me wrong. Do you feel like an exterminator? An exterminator of... That's exactly... Dude, like every time you mention like another comment on a game, it makes complete sense. So obviously we traveled to the South Pole to be able to exterminate the Silverfish from destroying the books that are buried in the South Pole. Like it makes complete complete sense. Mm -hmm. Absolute complete sense. So we'll have more on that in a minute. And uh, also this week, we will be talking about the future of Bethesda titles and how Phil Spencer has said they do not need to be on other consoles. Uh, we'll also be jumping into GameStop reportedly getting a cut of games, even if you're not buying the games from GameStop, as far as Xbox is concerned. And Nintendo forces a rebrand of adult entertainer Poke Princess. I think it said she's now Digital Princess. Digimon's not going to sue her. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. Okay, so uh, as always, man, let's get into our recent pickups and are currently playing. I'll start off because I see you actually have some this week, so it'll be a, a nice little transition to you. I know, it's new new things. So Blair Witch Project on the PS4, it was announced like a year and a half, two years ago, I think. I don't remember the exact date, but it came out last year on the Xbox and PS4 overseas, and they just finally released physical copies uh, recently in the U.S. So or North America, really. Wait, what? Yeah, Blair really? Witch. Yeah, Blair Witch Project on the PS4 and Xbox One was released overseas like last year, so you can only get a PAL version. And they just released it this year for physical copies in the, in North America. I had no idea. Like just recently too. So it's thirty bucks if you've been looking for this game and you didn't want to pick up a PAL version. Was of there it. like a digital only release in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah, it was digital only in the U.S. So how bizarre, right? So yeah, if you want to pick that up, that's now out. Uh, so definitely grab that. I got mine on eBay for like thirty bucks, and it's actually sold out on GameStop, Best Buy, and oddly enough, Walmart has it available. So yeah, if you've been looking for it. Check it out. I don't know what kind of scarcity this game is going to have just because it's like, you know, late in the life cycle of a console. Plus, it's a physical release that was delayed a year and, you know, it had so many digital copies sold, you know, and they might have looked at those digital copies and said, OK, well, we only had X amount of downloaded, so we're only going to print X amount. Mm -hmm. Who knows? You know, I don't know everything about that, but pick it up if you've been looking for it and you want a physical copy. And that's the type of thing you go for. I've heard that it's it's OK. I've seen. I think it was, uh, I don't know. I watched somebody play some of it online and it looked decent enough. Yeah, I've got a friend coming into town in a couple weeks. And so I picked it up and I'm like, dude, spooky it, game. I was like, why not? He and I used to play horror games all the time. So I was like, what if we just play Blair Witch Project? So like a four or five hour game. It's not going to take us long to sit back. It's not like I'm going to feel... I'm not going to feel like we wasted our time hanging in front of a TV playing a game because we'll maybe spend like a night on it or yeah. two nights. OK, outside of that, uh, we were going to play Blue Stinger this week on the Dreamcast, but it failed. But it failed. So it wasn't my Dreamcast. Blue Stinger, I guess at some point was just shaved down too far through a buffing machine and it doesn't work. I know. So, I think we talked about this last week. What? 
on the podcast about how much you can buff out games. Yeah, we did actually. We talked about it on the GameCube aspect, and it does happen on CD games as well. So that's why, like my Saturn games, you'll notice still have scratches, even mm-hmm. though some of them may have been buffed out. I didn't get as deep as I could on them for the fear of that actually happening. So. Yeah, that game, it's been shaved down. I noticed on like the actual like ring portion, the blue, it's like scratched. But on the outside, the actual disc, there's a few marks that were deeper. And you can see where somebody just like straight up resurfaced it. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So it doesn't go past the logo. It obviously doesn't work. So just picked up a new copy of a disc only. And we'll see how that goes. And uh, now you, dude, you have some pickups. Yeah. So uh, taking full advantage of uh, the <laughs> PS Plus this month, got... Need for Speed Payback and Vampire, uh, two games that I may never actually end up playing, but hey, I got them. And I also did buy a mobile game. I bought Million Onion Hotel. They were talking about it on a podcast I listened to, the Dad and Sons podcast. And it's supposed to be like a decently fun like little puzzle game, but just has like tons of Japanese cultural references and pop culture references and stuff. So... I don't know. I really didn't know anything about it. I just kind of heard them mention it, and I was like, I could use a new mobile game since they ruined my solitaire. You know what else is mobile? Persona 4. You know what? It totally is, and guess what? I've still not played it. I thought really hard about playing it a couple days this week and never got around to it. Hey, at least we we got you thinking about it, at least. Dude, you've got... Time's coming, man. I know, I know. You that gotta, wall, I could see it yeah, on the horizon. You gotta hit it. And and you know what? I just you guys, I suspect Ryan coming through and being like, I beat it. And all he does is watch YouTube videos on the ending. So we're going to look at his data file (laughs) on the 31st and make sure that he actually beat it before New Year's. There we go. And then if he didn't, we can shame him. I'll even buy a bell specifically to shame him. Shame bell. Shame bell. It'll happen. Hopefully. Don't keep don't keep uh, that on me. You know, (laughs) I don't know if I want to buy a bell. Okay, so you didn't play much this week overall then? No, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I was just busy this week, I guess. I I don't even know where the time is going anymore. Oh, we watched... Uh, basically, I came home every day this week and we watched The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix. It's like a sequel series to a couple years ago, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, okay. Uh, it was terrible. Anybody listening that's, you know, wants to watch that show, just tune out for a sec uh, because you shouldn't. And I'm going to tell everybody why you shouldn't watch that show. Like, the whole thing takes place in flashbacks, like, a lot. Like, there's... The overall story is all, like, somebody telling a story. I don't have a problem with that. But, like, in the context of what is, like, the current timeline plot of the story, where things should be happening... Pretty much everything interesting that happens all happens in flashbacks and stuff. Like, there really isn't a lot going for the show in the moment. And, like, by the time the show was over, like, I felt like it had barely just started. Like, you get to episode eight and you're like, oh, now it's interesting. Now I understand some stuff. And it just, I don't know. It was a huge disappointment. felt like a giant waste of time. I spent most of the last episode Googling how bad the show was. So... 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, I had a better experience this week uh, on TV shows. So before I get into my currently playing, I guess I'll, I'll jump into that too. Uh, we finally finished watching The Boys season two. I still got to watch the last episode. So that was good. Uh, that last episode was pretty good too. And then we started watching Utopia on Amazon Prime as well. So I don't know if you've seen that one on your previews. No. Utopia is pretty good. So uh, it's slow to start. We're on like episode seven of eight right now on the first season. And uh, that in particular, it, it just finally picked up. Like episode seven, we're like, oh, my God, everything is now making sense. And this is amazing. Like, it's actually a really good show. So if you haven't, you know, watched that and you're looking for something to watch and you're into the boys and into that, like, you know, crazy, dramatic, nerd-type universe, Utopia is not bad. It's pretty cool. So my currently playing, I beat Quest Arrest. So if you follow us on our social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, so at Game Deflators on Twitter and then at... Uh, the Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook, you'd see that I have already beat that game and I went ahead and tagged John Rue in the Rue Room studio and everything else. So uh, it's it's a pretty cool game. Uh, it's probably, honestly, it's really short, Ryan. It's probably like maybe an hour and a half, two hours that you could beat this game. And it's I a don't total... beat games, John. If you can't beat this <laughs> game, we got an issue. Uh, so yeah, with this game, it's like an hour and a half, maybe two hours you can blast through it. It's just like a straight up flashback to like a totally different era of gaming. So you've got the whole Pokemon theme going for it with, you know, like the gun and the taser and pepper spray. And you've got to make this decision on being a good cop versus a bad cop. And you're trying to solve really who the leader of this uh, crime syndicate is. And it, like I said, it's super short. You kind of start out, you get your radio, you get your save point, your health spawn points and all that. And you go through and, you know, you try to arrest or potentially kill different criminals that are throughout the area of these bandits and eventually solving who the leader of the crime syndicate is and either arresting or uh, killing that individual and uh, becoming a good cop or a bad cop, pending what you've done throughout the game. So it's a pretty quick play. There are physical copies of it available, so I think it's free to play digitally, so you don't have to actually buy a physical copy if you don't want to but i know in his store he's got it's like cartridge only is 15 bucks first edition prints which i already got are sold out and then he's got second edition complete in box prints I, I told you a while back and you see it on my desk here it's a really nice piece of indie work really i mean it's got the game boy logo on the side it's in the game boy box it's got the slip cover like everything is in there like it's it's great so I definitely enjoyed it, and I thought it was pretty cool. A good experience. So I beat that, and Jade Cocoon, I decided to start playing that last night. Um, I might need to restart from the beginning because I was falling asleep because I started it too late, and I probably missed like three or four like key points within the game before falling asleep. And unfortunately, the save points were so spread out, I didn't have an opportunity to be like, all right, let me save here and stop. Because by the time I got through X amount of time, it was too late. So I might restart that today, but it's pretty cool. And it's a game that I used to see a lot when I was younger. And you'd go into like CompUSA and all of these different computer stores, Circuit City and whatnot. And they would have the demo kiosk set up. Jade Cocoon, for whatever reason, is always a demo that I saw or at least a video on the PlayStation 1 kiosk. And it just, for whatever reason, triggered last night that I need to play this game. So boot it up and we're gonna see how it goes man so i'll have some updates on that game as uh, as i progress through it 
I don't think I've ever seen this before. What Jade Cocoon? Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's one of those random obscure games that I just happened to see a lot when I was younger. So figured I would give that one a shot. Cool. All right, dude. So before we start with our articles, let's of course let everybody know that they can find our podcast on all awesome podcast applications such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and wherever podcasts are found. And of course, leave us a six-star review if you can. If not, we'll settle for five. All right. We're good at settling. We're good at (laughs) settling. Exactly. So I've got trivia for you. Trivia time. And... I, you know what, I'm going to have two here because I feel that you're going to get the first one so quickly, it's not even going to work. What product did Nintendo first release before taking on the world of video games? Like, what was their first product or their first, like, smash hit? What was their product? What did they take I mean, they made, games? like, Hanafuda cards? Yep, so you got the playing cards. So here's my second question. And then question. they made the Super Grabber? The Super Grabber? Yeah. They made, like, one of those extendo, like, grabby things. That was, like, one of their big smash toys that they made. Well, damn. I need to buy a Super Grabber. Okay. So here's my second question, then. The United States Air Force used what console to create a cluster supercomputer? Um... Gosh. Is that the Air Force? Yeah. Because that makes a huge difference. <laughs> the console wars. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to go with a uh, uh, a Saturn. And so the answer is the PlayStation 3. Ah. Yeah, so they clustered those. I remember hearing about that when I was younger and how there was a military branch that pretty much took a ton of PlayStation 3s, banded them together to make a supercomputer. So apparently, unless somebody tells us otherwise in our social media channels, that was a thing. Hmm. And it was the Air Force that did it. I honestly think they said cluster, but all they did is had a bunch of TVs and Air Force guys playing games. (laughs) A LAN party. Yeah, exactly. Having friends that have been in the Air Force, I can confirm or not confirm that that's probably a majority of what they did on base. They're just having a land party, and then, like, the general shows up, and it's like, uh, we're building a supercomputer? Dude, like, I've got friends that are in the Navy. I've got family that are in the Marines. I've got buddies that have been in the Air Force. And if you look at the pictures and what they have done over their lifetime, my Air Force buddy's, like, hanging out with Japanese girls and, like, drinking and stuff. And then you look at the Navy guy, and he's, like, in his suit or whatever, in his uniform, and he's, like, in front of a submarine. And then the Marine is just, like, straight up, like background of just desert Uh so it's yeah it's really interesting to see all those perspectives from friends on facebook okay hey any listeners out there serving in the military thank you for your service appreciate it okay so uh articles articles so first up today we've got future bethesda titles don't need to be on ps5 says xbox's phil spencer this is uh by alessandro barbosa of GameSpot. So, Phil Spencer talking about how, you know, well, we bought Bethesda. Like, I don't see the need for their titles to be on other people's consoles. And it's like, that makes the most obvious sense. Like, I don't know that anybody really thought that, I mean, there are the exclusives that are currently slated for PS5, Deathloop, and... Tokyo Ghostwire. Tokyo Ghostwire, and they're still going to let those release as they were told that they would be released. But, I mean, like, you don't go out and buy companies like that to 
not have them become exclusives. Like, uh, I, I guess it's news. I guess he said a thing and well, people heard the thing and wrote about it. So the question or the answer really came up because he was in an interview and he was asked, you know, what do you have to do to ensure that? And I'm kind of, you know, going around here in a sense, but what do you have to do to recoup that investment of $7.5 billion? Like, are you going to be able to recoup the investment by just having it exclusive? And that's where he's like, look, we've got Xbox Game Pass, uh, xCloud, PC, Xbox. You know, it. we have all immobile. Like, we have the ability to get these exclusives in the hands of different players. And, of course, we don't have, you know, we don't have to ship it off to other consoles. However, um, he didn't say they're not going to. And if we have that old quote, uh, they're going to look at it from a case-by-case basis, right? Um, he doesn't deny it, that it's not going to other consoles within that specific answer, just saying, we don't need to. And there's also another quote that I read earlier this year that, uh, or not too long ago, that the acquisition of ZeniMax wasn't just to rip games from other consoles and other players. Like, that wasn't their objective. So it seems to me like they will likely use the minds of Bethesda, acquired at studio and potentially create new games and new, you know, properties through that. But initially, you know, like we've said, I cannot see Elder Scrolls being exclusive to Xbox and PC. That would honestly not make a lot of financial sense, especially in like the immediate future, like future Elder Scrolls games. Sure. And given Microsoft's, you know, willingness to have companies complete games. So, Elder Scrolls will likely be finished, and then Elder Scrolls 7 will follow suit probably not too far after that. I oh, would whatever, dude. It's been... Dude. It's been, like, nine years since yeah. the last one. Yeah, I get you, but think about the fact that that Unless is... Unless you count Blades, but that's which Be- I don't think anybody counts Blades. That's Bethesda on their own with ZeniMax, though. Now you've got Microsoft at the helm barking the orders. So, bigger studio, you know, obviously a lot more hands on deck for this type of product, and I can see Hopefully them new, better hands that aren't as buggy. Yeah, exactly. Plus, you have the team from Obsidian who now has access to those properties that they were removed from. So, you know, honestly, I'm not saying Elder Scrolls seven coming in like 2023, no, no, yeah, yeah. you know, by all means. But I think we'll see a quicker turnaround in these games versus what we were seeing before. I mean, if they're able to pump out a Halo game like several a generation, what makes you think they can't pop out like a couple Elder Scrolls in this generation? You know? So honestly, I I can see like the first one, so six, because of the anticipation, because of the console war and everybody kind of getting their thing, jumping over to, you know, they're going to jump to one console or the other, right? So making sure that Elder Scrolls Six is available on all the consoles they can get it on, bring in some of that money and then, okay, cool. You liked Elder Scrolls Six, you like what you saw with Microsoft? Well, now here's seven and you can only get it on Xbox. Yeah, but I mean, like Elder Scrolls is such a big title that... I mean, I feel like it'll move people over to play it. And especially, you know, if if they can just get it on Game Pass, you know, like they'll just hook it up and play it on their PC or whatever. Like there's there's a lot of room here for them to just totally do whatever they want and really, you know own that space in a way that like I think it would be good for them like because 
other than Halo, I'm trying to think of like other first party Xbox titles that like have enough draw to Gear, really move people over. Gears of War would be one. Now Doom, if Doom stays exclusive, would be one to draw you over. Um, really any rare titles that potentially come out down the road. Yeah, I just I I think that them trying to stick exclusive with this stuff is just. It's really all they got, like compared to, you know, what Sony already has in its library with like uh, Horizon and God of War. And like, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a Last of Us Part 3, but The Last of Us, like they've got some really stellar franchises that are exclusive and draw people into those consoles. And I just think that like Xbox's mass appeal with Game Pass and everything is great. And they're definitely going to take a big market share, I feel, in this next console generation. Like, I think that Xbox might wind up being more successful and keeping the exclusivity of these, you know, Bethesda titles and other ZeniMax property titles like on their console is really going to push them to be the dominant force and have that kind of draw. So I just I can't imagine that the next Elder Scrolls will be multi-platform. I honestly, man, I can see it. In and seven point five billion dollars, or however much money they spent oh, on it, that's nothing for them. Yeah, it's nothing. It's a drop yeah. in the bucket. Yeah, for them, that's honestly recouping losses. Here is not like probably even. It's not even a in blip. their. Yeah, it's not even in their mindset right now. Like, you know, they seven point five billion is quite a bit, right? But if you ship out, you know, sixty million consoles at three hundred bucks a pop. You know, and then you sell X amount of games and yeah, it, it makes no sense that it, it would go on other consoles. But at the same time, I could see it going on other consoles to recoup that initial loss. And they could do one of those consumer approaches where it's like, hey, we're going to have all the DLC for that game. You can play Elder Scrolls on the PS5, but all the DLC is remaining on Xbox. Mm. That could be something too down the road. So kind of force you to make that choice, right? Yeah, you can get on Sony and Sony, you're going to pay us money to have it on your console so obviously you're going to get the finances from that but people are going to want to play it over here so who knows um i would say though that i can see the next generation of gaming going one of two ways right so if you look at it from me for example i'm not going to buy an xbox i don't have any plans on doing so i'm going to be specifically going for pc so i can get the the gaming cloud which would make sense because i could still play those games and then i'll go with a ps5 because the exclusives tied to that and given the affordability of PCs and like AMD's new chips that came out, the new GPUs that are out or impossible to find slash what is going to be found in the future with AMD's GPU of Navi, I think you're going to run into a situation where you see PlayStation 5 dominating the console section of things and then PC kind of creeping up in terms of overall share. Or you're going to see the Xbox Series S for the pure digital component and, the you know, the Game Pass, and then you'll see the market share still remaining on PS5 for the larger console, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how this console war shapes up. This is definitely uh, going to kind of add to that, you know, whatever's going on uh, that we're seeing. And I'm totally stoked, dude. Like, this is kind of giving me back feelings of, like, the Wii and PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Like, that console war was insane. Yeah, but I felt, like, back then, I mean, I had the PS Wii 60. Like... Lots of people got everything yeah. back then, and I feel like having everything isn't necessarily, you know, as as 
big of a no it's not as big of a deal anymore yeah you don't have to have them all you know you really just kind of have to have one of the two big ones and nintendo Mm -hmm. like if you wanted to go that route and play everything because there's so much cross compatibility in terms of the games offered and the type of games offered uh but we'll see how it goes i'm pretty stoked i know we'll be talking about sales figures and stuff over the next year and how that all progresses and new game titles and it'll be pretty cool so Next article, dude, uh, as we kind of tie into this console and what Microsoft is doing to try and shape up uh, the future of their console and their market share. uh, Throwing more money around. Throwing more money around. I don't know if they throw money on this one, but GameStop is reportedly getting a cut of Xbox games, even if you do not buy them from GameStop. So this one is brought to us by Chaim Gartenberg of The Verge. And really what they're saying here is, say, for example, Ryan goes out He goes to GameStop and he buys the digital only console or really he just buys a console from GameStop and he decides I'm going to purchase the new Elder Scrolls on my new Xbox digitally. GameStop gets a cut of that now. The percentage isn't discussed and we haven't noted that yet and we'll obviously see that in our next shareholder meeting. But that's pretty cool. I think if, you know, for GameStop to get that, you know, I wouldn't say it's exclusive yet because we could see Sony swoop in and do something similar with them. But it's interesting to see that that's how GameStop is going to try to keep alive this generation. We talked about like, what, three, four episodes ago, how GameStop was likely going to go under at some point. And now it's more or less, can they go under if this type of thing happens? Well, and, you know, Microsoft is getting, I, I keep trying to think of like what exactly they're getting out of this deal. And I keep coming back to, and I heard other people talk this week about, you know, this could just be a good way for them to kind of not have to worry about having a Microsoft store because they can just have a mini Microsoft store set up inside of your local GameStop. And I mean, I guess it's kind of like paying for that privilege to be able to be there. Like I know I've gone into GameStop and seen like a little Google center where they've got like some Google the homes and what homes and stuff yeah. like that set up. And it's like Google must be giving them, you know, something to be able to set up shop like that in there but is this going to push microsoft into kind of an not unfair but disproportional amount of space in the store like are they gonna tuck playstation all the way in the back in the dark corner where you can't see past the big bright microsoft lights at the front of the store you know like what about other retailers uh you know target Target, you want a little bit of that? You want to go to Big Daddy Microsoft and say, hey, what about us? Where's our where's our cut? We want to cut. You know, like yeah. this this game that they're playing and the, you know, we're, we'll never really know what's going on behind those doors and what their, you know, what their scheme is here until it becomes more apparent until GameStop kind of gets it together to reformat and get all their employees set up and all their places set up to, you know, have all this new tech and new software and all that stuff. So there'll definitely be like a bunch of restructuring. Uh, I know last year we talked about, or earlier this year, we talked about all the different closures. So how many more stores are going to close to make this restructure happen? Like, well, are they getting a financial incentive to not close stores, you know, and have these products out in the market? So, I mean, there's there's a little bit going on here of everything and you know i do kind of see your point there too of like what happens to the other consoles that are within 
you know, these GameStop locations. And, you know, if I'm, you know, a GameStop executive, I'm not necessarily looking at Microsoft and saying, yeah, Microsoft is going to save me. Like Microsoft is going to completely change how we are financially and is going to bring us back from the bottom. Like I don't see that happening. Like they have to go through with the approach of, yeah, we have to have Sony products. We have to have Nintendo and we have to show them equally mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, those are still big markets for them. Yeah. It would be ridiculous to say we're going to shrink our Nintendo and, you know, PlayStation sections by 50% so we can increase what is there for Microsoft when Microsoft isn't even the leader in the space yeah. for video game consoles. So I can't see GameStop doing that type of an approach, but if they did, that just shows how stupid they are and how stupid they've been for many years if they went with that approach. So, you know, really, I look at it from the, are we going to walk into a GameStop and the first thing we're pushed is Xbox products. You know, like, are we going to see, hey, have you uh, gone ahead and um, pre-ordered the new Elder Scrolls 6? Have you pre-ordered this game that's coming out by Bethesda? You know, like, those types of things that we're going to see, I think, are going to kind of come into light as the console wars kind of heat up. And we'll start to notice if maybe GameStop employees are being given direction of, like, you have to push, you know, X amount of Xboxes out the door or get X amount of pre-orders for Xbox because that's where we're making our extra money from now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I heard a cool idea. Um, What if you could take, you know, your physical Xbox games and trade them in for a code to get a digital version? Because they've got that all, you know, the Series S is all digital. And that's like an interesting idea that wouldn't really, you know, cost them as much. And they get a turnaround and resell that physical copy. So they kind of win both ways there. And you get to be able to play some of the games that you still have lying around on your new digital version of the system. And that's like kind of something that I don't think I've ever seen. Like I've never heard of any place offering any kind of service like that but it's it's a cool idea and it's something that they could definitely do to take advantage of you know bringing in more used games in a way that is more beneficial to the consumer because you're not going to get that short you know you're going to get exactly what you gave and have that full kind of value I can see something like that working, but only in the instance of like, you have to trade in this game and give us like 10 bucks type of thing or five bucks, whatever it may be, you know, like if you want it digitally, because I think it needs to make more financial sense to do that type of thing, right? Like trading a game for a code for me to sell that, that game code has to cost something if I'm GameStop, right? Like, uh, or even Microsoft, like however it's done, it's still going to cost some sort of, you know bit of money to be able to say okay here's a code go ahead and take it especially if you're GameStop because you only have x amount of codes right so I can see that working but I can see there being like a premium tied to it to be able to get maybe, that maybe it's free if you have a GameStop membership pro membership maybe I don't know could be a benefit of being a pro and draw more people into subscribing yeah we'll see because the whole like transition from you know physical media over to a more predominant well i wouldn't say predominant because it hasn't happened yet but you know a digital focus going on this that media way and, yeah and going that way it's going to be a whole different ball game for video games moving forward and even two years from now it'll be a totally different ball game so let's see how this goes man but that's i wouldn't say that's you know 
out of question that something like that could happen because we've seen it happen with like older titles of bring this in and we'll give you the most recent versions. So like the Xbox 360 to Xbox One and eventually I would imagine Xbox One to Xbox Series X and, and so on with PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 getting that free upgrade. But that I think is typically driven by the publisher, if I'm correct. It's not necessarily driven by Microsoft or Sony. Mm-hmm. So... All right, now in some uh, funny news here, I would say funny, uh, but it's kind of scary. Nintendo forces rebranding for adult entertainer Poke Princess. So the whole article is pretty much how she understands, but she feels that she's being targeted specifically by Nintendo because she's an adult entertainer and Nintendo's a family-friendly company and that there's other people that use Nintendo uh, types of work and make money off of it. So she feels targeted specifically because she's an adult entertainer. To that, I say, no, you're an idiot. Uh, Nintendo targets everybody that uses their product. And if you're a small-time artist sitting in a convention, Nintendo probably doesn't know that you're selling that. But they'll shut down everybody and anybody they can and send cease and desist letters all over to flip in place to scare people. It's not exclusive to the adult entertainment industry. Like, that is probably the dumbest comment that I've read in all the podcast episodes that we've done. Like, how... How many Nintendo tattoos does this person have and doesn't understand? Like, you're not a gamer at that point. Like, if you don't fully understand Nintendo, how can you call yourself the Poke Princess? Like, come and, on. And I mean, like, Poke is just part of a word. Has Nintendo heard of Poke Bowls? They're well, all over the place. Like, <laughs> like you can't just own part of the word. Like, I looked up this article. But it's, I not, remember it's not necessarily that's how she's using it. So if you look in that article, there's a T-shirt that has a Poke Ball and it says Poke Princess over the top. So she's utilizing it as Poke as in Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So that's a pure reason. And she tried to trademark Poke Princess, which Nintendo's like, no, you're not trading Poke because then that opens up a whole slew of things to other stuff. So, but go on. Sorry. Oh, I had looked up an article on, um, I guess it was on my other device, but like a few years ago, some company was getting sued because they tried to make their game uh, scrolls or something and like Bethesda was coming after them for using scrolls as the title being like this is too close to Elder Scrolls which is you know most people just call it Skyrim yeah (laughs) anyways like the Elder Scrolls is kind of the least known part about that in the public but like these video game companies that like do want to come down hard on you know their fans or even other companies they're doing stuff that they consider tangentially infringing on you know their ip or whatever like you're you gotta defend your ip i get that but it's not really i don't know it just seems so dumb when the big companies want to come down so hard on small people for seemingly nothing yeah i mean and i it's not like i'm over here looking at only fans for like pokemon themed e-girls or something so you know i don't know much about like is that a category maybe i don't know (laughs) poke e-girls who knows poke girls so yeah i have no idea like what's going on on that on that front of the world but at the same time when i look at this from a and she understands she's like it's a business move and i'm gonna count as me being like young and dumb is what she says so she knew like she's basically admitting on there like yeah i knew i shouldn't have been doing this but i've been doing it for years anyways and she's making money off. She had like, what does it say? Like 1.9 million subscribers or something like Holy that cow. on TikTok. Like she's got insane following. So like it's one thing if it's some random person or a guy, girl, whoever it is, and they're saying poke and they're doing all this stuff tied to Pokemon and like that's their shtick or theme. 
and they've got like a thousand people that follow them. It's another thing when you have 1.9 million people, and especially on TikTok, which is predominantly teenagers, which would be that target market anyways. So you're reaching Nintendo's target market with Poke Princess. Also with, you know, if anybody types in Poke Princess to Google and you're a younger kid thinking Pokemon, Poke Princess, mm. you have that whole issue going on too. So yeah, Nintendo doesn't want to be affiliated with you in any sense of form. And you're over here trying to trademark Poke Princess. You have t-shirts with Pokeballs and saying Poke Princess. You have Pokemon tattooed on your body. And yet you question why, po you know, why Nintendo is coming after you mm. or you find it that they're targeting you. No, like I don't I don't buy it like Nintendo. Like you said, they're protecting their trademark. They do it all the time. We've had numerous articles we've read in the past where Nintendo has shut down small indie developers who have made stuff. They shut down Mario 64 and 4K on the PC. Obvious reasons for that. But they'll shut down everything they can and take it for their own. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Maybe Nintendo makes an affiliate organization, specifically adult industry tied to Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> that Nintendo seal of approval right on the ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That uh, just don't watch it in HD. So anything else on this man? Like, nope. I oh. mean, you know, I I guess she's rebranded to Digi Princess because she doesn't think that Digimon's gonna come after her. But we'll Can see. Can you imagine? Is it Bandai that owns Digimon? I think I so. Think? Yeah. All right, Bandai. We'll hashtag you. We'll see what's going on with Digi Princess now. She's gonna start removing all of her tattoos of Pokemon and putting Digimon. Right. Yeah. Right. Digimon won't chase me. Bandai's not that big of a company. We'll see how that goes. All right. So uh, we hope you like that article. Uh, let's get into our inflation deflation. This week we played Extermination for the PlayStation 2. Developed by Deep Space, published by Sony Computer Entertainment, designer Yuzo Sugano, and released back in July 2001. It's a survival horror game that got eh, 7 out of 10-ish. Which is somewhere in that realm. So I gotta say, Yuzo really did... Uh, get some major influence from the American military when he made this game. <laughs> some of the, the stuff that was talked about in that game, and just like, it's such an yeah, American Yeah, so this is a very close kind of, you know, Resident Evil-esque type game. I honestly had to ask Ryan midway through if this was Capcom. Like, I hadn't... I, seriously, like, some of the, the save points, the shooting, like, well, the shooting's a little different because that's... The stilted dialogue. Yeah, just like, yeah, the, exactly. Like all the weird the stuff. The locked camera angles. Uh-huh. There was so much Resident Evil going in this. I was like, this has to be Capcom. Like Maybe it's developers that were part of that team years ago. We didn't dig too, too, too deep into that. I don't know. Yeah. It, it was fine. So you're, uh, you start off in a plane going to the South Pole for some reason i think you're going to find like some girl well it's a recon mission specifically recon at some because, facility yeah you're scoping out a facility because something's apparently about to go wrong plane crashes you and your buddy have to like jump through a fan that he's accurately timed <laughs> remember the uh what did he say it was he's like the fan spins for three seconds but like and then stop for two seconds but due to the inertia you yeah, only yeah. have one second you have to be precise he's like you go first like okay i guess you've been watching this fan you know how it works and you want me to go first to make sure your theory is correct and i don't get chopped to bits yeah it's sounds legit it's got some bizarre dialogue but nothing too like offensive like it wasn't immediately like turning me off from playing the game uh 
we didn't get too far. Well, we got far enough to where I would consider it a demo. Yeah, we got to a point where it's like, okay, I can see now the plot is going to begin. We're, you know, in the facility. We've run around and, you know, got some health packs here and there. We got, you know, some switches flipped on. We Killed crawled some through some ducks. We ran into these, like, I don't know what the monsters are. They're like, I guess they're kind of like the flood, like the little versions of the flood. They're and then fish. they go around and infect like your buddy gets infected and then some lady shows up and shoots him down yeah so basically the silverfish in the game uh jump onto you so you have like a vaccine that you can take throughout the game and it removes your infection and it gets you kind of back to normal state and the silverfish at some point uh go out and attack our comrade i forget his name so your name dennis and then the other guy is some guy from jersey uh, so they go ahead and jump on him and he turns this massive like infected creature almost instantly, which is insane for a game of that nature. So we get hit by a similar amount and only have 20 percent infection rate. So mm -hmm. it was like, that's odd. But yeah, so he turns this big infected. Yeah, plot armor. So he gets completely annihilated by this girl with a gun who is in her suit and everything, her like hazmat suit. And you don't get her face revealed. She's like, I know where your friends are. They're located in this corridor. Bye. I'll see you later. Go get them and run away. Like, it was interesting. But Neil's to say, man, like, this particular game, I wasn't turned off by it. Like, I actually, when we were finished with that, I was like, okay. You wanted to save. Yeah. You made a save file so I, that you could come back. I made a save file, yeah. I made a save file specifically so if I want to come back to this, I've already passed the core point of that game. And it's not bad. Yeah, I never heard about this game or never heard much about this game, but I remember the cover. Like, I remember going into GameStop and seeing that game and definitely looking at it like I definitely held this game in my hand at some point and checked it out, but never really, you know, never bought it, never played it. I think that it would be something that I would probably be down for. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the, the menus. Yeah, the menus are really weird, but it's a menu. It yeah. is what it is, right? I would say, let's see. So actually, let me go back a little bit here. When I first saw this game, I want to say my brother was playing a demo of it. I don't recall if it was a demo or if he rented it from Blockbuster at the time. But I do recall my brother playing this game and me just watching and going, huh, this is interesting. Not really my style of games at the time. I was really heavy in RPGs. Probably, like that's all I played was RPGs. Your whole life, <laughs> like almost my whole life. It was either like first-person shooters and RPGs. It's legitimately like oh, and Ratchet and Clank. That's legitimately all I played throughout like high school. And so yeah, he was playing that, and it was interesting. But I was like, eh, it's not really the type of game I'm, I'm wanting to play right now. So I just kind of brushed it aside. And then of course Blue Stinger didn't work. So I'm like, let's play this. Uh, I would have to say that this game overall my my overall impression of it is it is worth playing given you know it, it's a 7 out of 10 overall and you know having the little bit of experience we did with the controls which weren't terrible um you know the overall visuals were actually pretty good yeah it's a decent looking like, ps2 it, it wasn't game bad. and the music and, and sound effects were actually decent like they really set the tone for this game even though it, it wasn't really scary you know, when we played it and uh, survival so, horror, how scary are they all? Uh, I mean, you start looking at games like, you know, Kuan and Siren and all that. They can be pretty scary. But mm -hmm. yeah, I don't I see this being more like Resident Evil light in a sense, mm -hmm. but it could get scarier. And I, I can see this being a game that 
you know, if you were like, hey, let's go ahead and play Extermination this week and beat it, I'd be down to sit back with a friend and play it. I don't know necessarily if I'd want to play this one on my own. Yeah. So. Too spooky. Not too spooky. Hashtag it's, too spooky. It's just fun to play games like this with a friend and trade off the controller and whatnot. So, and then of course, hold them when you're scared. Getting down to it, John, you say this game is worth playing, but is it worth owning for the steep price complete in box of $14 that peaked at uh, $18.99 back in February 2019? That's going up. Buy it now. Uh, Loose. $8.18 peaked at $8.30 back in July 2020, and that's holding steady right there. Yeah, so, you know, 14 bucks isn't bad. You know, I'd say I'd say it's deflated from my perspective in that it's not a bad game. We played enough to be like, this is pretty good. It's not a terrible game. It has that Resident Evil feel to it. The controls can be a little wonky at times, especially with that, you know, the camera angles not being able to shift with the uh, the right thumbstick having to use the shoulder buttons on that uh and it, given that the shoulder buttons also how you bring out your gun is kind of odd right so you're trying to shift and you're clicking the gun at the same time that was really weird but i would say like when you put the controllers aside and you look at the graphics and you look at the overall gameplay we experienced and a story that was developing i would say 15 bucks if you found it for that you are not doing yourself a disservice i think if you pick it up for that price and it ends up being enjoyable and you like it, sure, like that's a great price. And if you play this for two hours and say, eh, wasn't worth it, well, you know, I always bring up the theory of a movie. You can go see a movie for two and a half, three hours, spend 15 bucks, and not like it. Well, at least you own this game and you have the ability to resell it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't resell a movie. So there is that component to it. Uh, I really like the box cover. I, I think it's good box art. So I'm going to say, you know... It'd be worth buying just for the box art. I mean, if you're if you're listening to this, hi, you're a video game collector. Welcome. Or you are an aspiring video game collector. And this could be your first purchase. You know, sometimes it's it's worth it just to have something pretty to look at. So what about Rule of Rose and Kuon and Haunting Ground? They have pretty covers. Yeah. For rich people. <laughs> I'm not rich. <laughs> the, the rule of rose actually is one of my favorite covers like it's actually pretty cool yeah i i don't know i mean it's a decent enough game but i feel like there's a hundred other games like this out there that you could play that it's probably on par with like i don't know much about we'll put it into comparison with cold fear which was another resident evil light game that we played yeah so cold like, fear was so, i think cold fear was more was doing more interesting stuff it, than this like was, the way that the boat was shifting around and stuff like it had some cool stuff going for it i thought yeah it was definitely pretty cool but let's put it into if you had 15 dollars to spend on cold fear or extermination which one do you go with um now, i want to say cold fear was much lower ratings if i recall yeah i think so uh gosh i guess i would still probably go with this one this one yeah i don't know they like i i don't know i just can't commit myself on this like there's nothing bad about this game there's just nothing great about it like the fact that you want to go back maybe and play through more of it someday like that's not something that i feel that i would want to do but I, I don't know. So man. you're probably at the ten dollar range if you found it. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. gonna go inflated just because I can't be bothered to 
to say that it's good enough to actually pick up and play. All right, so we'll say just right overall. So when you kind of factor in Ryan's inflated mind being I'm deflated. I'm just out of it today. I can't make a decision. Ryan cannot. He, I asked him about breakfast burritos this morning, and the first thing he's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like okay, well, I'm just going to get whatever I want then. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say it's just about right then. Uh, we're looking at $14. That's $14, I would imagine, with shipping. So it's probably more or less in that $12 range is what it's sitting at. So, yeah, I, I would say just right then. Let's go ahead and right in the middle ryan sounds good so uh let me see if blue stinger has shipped yet and then which i think it has so this will give us an idea on when we are able to play that game we might actually end up playing it on halloween weekend and we mm. just talk about it so let's see my recent purchases on ebay and blue stinger has not shipped yet so i'm gonna anticipate that this game probably comes in about the 28th which would be i think halloween's on a saturday this year so we'll probably play halloween day cool yeah so we'll see if that comes in in time so what what can we get spooky with next week oh man uh let's see do i have any playstation 4 horror games i believe i do uh i don't want to play outlast because we've played that before how about i think inside and limbo is technically a horror game uh, I've played both of those. You have? Yeah. Are they horror games or nah? Uh, I mean, they're indie horror games. You know, I mean, they've got horror aesthetic, but not really like, I don't know. They're not horror. What about, um, I would say let's play, what's that, Dead Space? But I think it takes a while before you get to anything that's like really horror based. Um... We can look at something potentially on... I think the GameCube has some horror games we can look at. Oh, did we ever play Juwan? The Grudge on the Wii? Hmm. I don't think we... Well, we haven't played that yet. No, I don't think so. Let's play some Juwan on the Wii. Let's see how that goes. We haven't played a Wii game in a while. Okay, I'm down. Cool. So uh, next week, Juwan on the Wii. I think that game for a while was sitting at like pretty obscure hard to find and then GameStop magically had a whole bunch of came into stock and it <laughs> shot the value down so that game was sitting I think at 40-50 bucks at one point which is pretty crazy okay so Juon next week uh, so definitely join us for that uh, we hope you enjoyed our commentary on the Poké Princess article uh, that was probably the most entertaining article I've read in quite a while I, I promise to be more aware and alert and decisive next week's episode. Okay, so we'll see how that goes, Ryan. Uh, all right. Well, of course, catch us on social media. So Instagram and Facebook are going to be at the Game Deflators. Uh, also catch us on Twitter at Game Deflators. And of course, on all of those great podcast applications, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere podcasts are found. If you listen somewhere that isn't a place that we're at let us know well hopefully they're hearing us there because if they have something and we're not on there and they use it pretty consistently they probably haven't heard this episode so yeah let us know if somehow <laughs> you hear this episode somewhere and or your buddy tells you and you listen to the wrong pos- co- ah, podcast application we'll jump on there too and then it'll be the right podcast application there we go yeah okay well uh that being said uh this has been episode 102 of the game deflators podcast my name's john i'm ryan and thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>